0: Thank you, Gary. Let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to the book of Ephesians, chapter five. Ephesians chapter five in your Bibles this morning. Ephesians chapter five. How many of you spray for dandelions? You know, in your land, your your lawn looks like a golf course. How many of you that's you Okay, forget the golf course, but you spray for dandelions. All right, some of you uh, murdering innocent dandelions. How many of you you, your lawn was yellow. How many of that's you, that's you. All kinds of dandelions everywhere, and you're proud of it. All right. I think I might have offended somebody last week, uh, a, a lover of dandelions, as I was preaching. You no, know, I'm kind of joking, kind of. I think I did offend someone, as I mentioned dandelions. Um, my neighbor has a beautiful lawn. It, there's not a, well, I, you actually have two dandelions in your lawn, Clint. I've seen it uh, from across the road, um, My lawn looked like a sea of yellow, uh, for my neighbor's viewing pleasure because a little bit of color out there other than green. Well, yesterday I was doing a little bit of mowing and, uh, basically the dandelions are gone in your yard, right? If you're mowing, but, uh, behind where I mow, there's some grass that I don't mow and it's a field and, and there are all kinds of dandelions, big, tall ones by this time, you know, and, uh, I'm mowing along, and all of a sudden, I thought I saw, to the corner of my eye, smoke blowing from the south to the north, and I thought, it's something on fire in the back of my property? Is something on fire? You know, I don't, I don't know where the kids have been. You know, what have they been doing? They know better, but maybe they're, they've assumed don't play with matches in the house. So maybe they thought the backyard was okay, and I, and I kept mowing. I didn't see any more smoke, and then I'm, I kept going back and forth, and I thought I saw it again. And then all of a sudden it dawned on me, it's not smoke, it's all the dandelion seeds blowing south, or north, excuse me, across the road toward my neighbor's beautiful manicured lawn. Uh, so Clint, uh, you might have more than two next year, I apologize. Um, but for all those of us who were too cheap to kill the dandelions, and, and we don't love them, we're just too cheap to kill them. Uh, you know, we don't want to hurt our children, okay, yeah, or whatever. We just don't want to spend the money to kill them. Uh, They're gone for the year, I think, I think. You're in Ephesians chapter 5. Let's begin reading in verse number 1. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. We're going to get to our text, which is down in verses 15 through 17, but... There's no way that we can possibly understand and comprehend what God wants us to in those three verses without seeing it in its context. Now remember, the overriding thought in the first half of Ephesians Ephesians chapter 5 is to follow God, follow God. And then he gets very, very specific, very practical, and he says, I want you to walk in love, and I want you to walk in the light, not in the darkness, and I want you to walk circumspectly. And uh, really, I could summarize it this way, uh, just by way of introduction. Uh, the first half of the book is all about what God has done for you and for me. God's sacrifice for you and for me, for our salvation. This portion of scripture very specifically is saying, because of the sacrifice that God has made for you, this is how I want you to live your life. I want you to walk in a way that's worthy of the sacrifice that Jesus Christ has made for you and for me. Look with me, beginning in verse 1, he says, Be therefore followers of God, as dear children, and walk in love, as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. So walk in love. Be selfless. Love other people more than you love yourself. Love God. Uh, more than you love yourself. Verse 3 says, But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints. It's not becoming of you, you're a child of God now, you're saved. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this ye know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man, who is an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God, let no man deceive you with vain words, with empty, meaningless words. For because of these things, the things, verses 3 down through verse number 5, for these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. And before we move on, remember those verses, very precise, very strong language in those, those verses. Uh, Talking about immorality. Uh, Sex outside of marriage is sin. Okay? Uh, if If you're married, God intends for you to have sex with your spouse. Okay? You're commanded to do that. Don't withhold yourself from one another, except it be for a short period of time, and you both agree to it. But if you're a married person, you should not have sex or intercourse with someone outside of marriage. If you're a single person and you're not married, uh, you should not involve yourself in sex with somebody else until you are married. Okay, is that very clear? We all understand that. And and remember, the, the church at Ephesus, like we we could be called the Church of Flushing or the Church at Flushing. We could be called that. Um, we, we go by Trinity Baptist Church, but in those days, it was the church at Ephesus. This church, this body of believers like you and me, met, they were from Ephesus, they lived in the city of Ephesus, they were the church of Ephesus, but the city of Ephesus was a wicked, immoral place. Immorality, sex outside of marriage was prevalent. It was the norm, okay? And, 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 and I say that because Some of us in this room may be tempted to say, well, (laughs) Pastor Ferguson, the Bible is really old and really old-fashioned. We're living in 2018. Everybody does it. Everybody looks. Everybody does these things. Well, that's not true. Everybody doesn't do it. And if you're a child of God, you shouldn't do it either. Is that clear? Okay. Okay. Now, we all have flesh, and we all can fall. Even God's people can fall, and that's why the instruction is given. But those verses in verses 3 down through verse number 6 describe for us, using very specific language, it really is describing or identifying for us what we call, what the Bible calls, the flesh. Okay, We all have it. Flesh. But if you're a child of God, you also are indwelt by the Spirit of God. He lives within you. Let's read on, verse number 7, he says, Be not ye therefore partakers with them, don't walk in the flesh, for ye were sometimes darkness. You used to, if you're a child of God, you're in the light now, but you used to be part of the darkness, for now are ye light in the Lord, walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable to the Lord. What, what does a life, what is, what is acceptable to God? And the answer to that question is, what, what, the fruit, what the Spirit produces is acceptable to God. What my flesh produces is not acceptable to God. If, if, if you, uh, in your life, if you're looking at a few things in your life, you know, uh, maybe uh, what you should watch or what you shouldn't watch. Uh, the kind of friends you should have or the kind of friends you shouldn't have, the kind of things, the language you should use or the language you shouldn't use. Uh, Pastor Ferguson, what kind of music should I listen to? What music shouldn't I listen to? Uh, we don't have a big list of the things you should do and the things you shouldn't do. You now, the Bible can be very specific about some things, but if you're unsure about something, ask yourself the question, is this thing that I want to do of the Holy Spirit and of God, or is it of the flesh is it for my flesh and the gratification of my flesh, or is it to the glory and praise of God? Because the Spirit of God is leading me to do it, leading me to write it, leading me to say it, Le- leading me to walk in it, leading me to look at it. Are you following me? Whatever's of my flesh is wicked. Whatever the Holy Spirit leads me to, uh, uh, Holy Spirit leads me to do. That is acceptable to God. Look at verse 11. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. In other words, don't partner with the works of darkness, they're unfruitful, unfruitful, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret, but all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light, for whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Look at verse fourteen. Wherefore he saith, "Awake, thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead; and Christ shall give thee light." Years ago, uh, it's been a while. Have I done any sleepwalking or sleep talking recently, dear? No. Okay. Um, but years ago, when I was in uh, when I was in elementary school, my parents could tell you that I would sleep talk a lot. In high school, I was still sleep talking and sleep walking. And, uh, and I can remember going on a, with the youth group to a trip over to Wisconsin. Uh, we were helping a church there run a vacation Bible school. And where was Seth in the middle of the night? He was walking around the church building in his sleep. Okay, that was me. Uh, uh, we went to Ireland on a missions trip. And, uh, and this is funny. All the guys, I probably was about 16 years old. And I didn't start shaving until I was about 23 or something like that, you know. I mean, it's just the way it was, a late bloomer, I guess, whatever the case. And, but there I am in Ireland, 16-year-old, and a lot of my buddies are there and part of the youth group, and we're on a missions trip, and they're all shaving. You know, they've got like a couple sprouts here and one over here and one over here, you know. Uh, uh, I won't tease anybody in this room. I'm restraining myself right now for some of you who are on that trip. Uh, but, but anyway, they would go and they took great pride in shaving, you know. So they'd get out their razors and they would cut themselves here and cut themselves here and cut themselves here. They'd come out with toilet, pieces of toilet paper here and pieces of toilet paper here and pieces of, piece of toilet paper over there. And, uh, and then they would make fun of me because I didn't shave. And, and I remember thinking, look at you guys. you got your bleeding all over the place and you're making fun of me because I don't shave? Well, so it was kind of the joke, you know, as the, the, the week, the missions trip went along. And uh, we were all sleeping in the same room, all the guys were. And they decided to prank me one night, okay. Now, I'm sure none of this stuff goes on in Pastor Burden's youth group, but in Pastor Scott's youth group, you know, well, whatever. <laughs> anyway, so what they did is in the middle of the night, what they've told me, they did, is they came up and they put, I think they put shaving cream all over my hands as I was sleeping. And then they tickled my nose or something like that so I would itch myself in my sleep, which I did. And then they put more shaving cream on my face and things like that. And and, and the funny thing is, as they recount for me to this day, I began to talk in my sleep to them about shaving cream. And I was telling them I could sell shaving cream. You know, we could I can sell shaving cream, I can smell shaving cream, all in my sleep, so I would sleep talk. In college up in Wisconsin, I can remember waking up my freshman year in the hallway, wearing my shorts at the end of the hallway. I'd gotten out of my room, walked around somewhere, and I was uh I was leaned up against the end of the hallway, the wall, uh, like this, and nothing but my shorts and, and freezing cold when I woke up. Now, I don't know what other excursions I might have taken as a sleepwalker in my life. Uh, Maybe you have some exciting stories you want to share another time. But whatever the case is, Paul here, as he's talking to these believers, he's saying, this is the flesh, this is what it does. It's horrible, it's ugly, it's sinful, and this is the spirit. This is light, this is darkness, this is light. And he says, I want you to wake up. You know, the reality is when, when I was sleepwalking or sleep talking, I was a bit incoherent. I can remember watching the Chicago Bulls play in the NBA Finals when I was in high school, and one of my siblings came out, they had gone to bed, they came out, and uh, they walked kind of in front of the game, you know, and I said, you know, wait, wait I'm watching the game. And, and uh, they reached up on top of the ping pong table that was folded up on the side of the room, and I said, what are you doing? And they were quite incoherent, and, and they said, I'm looking for the bathroom. <laughs> And I said, well, the bathroom's not there. The bathroom's over there. Go, you know. And this is like one of my, I'm about 17 or 18. They're about 16 or something like that. And, uh, you know, when we're sleepwalking, when we're asleep, we're not thinking clearly. We're not thinking rationally. We're not aware of our surroundings. We're not thinking honestly. We're not thinking in reality. And when, as Paul writes to these believers, he says, this is light, this is darkness, this is love, this is selfishness, this is the, the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, and this is of your wicked, godless flesh. And he says to the church at Ephesus, you need to wake up. You need to wake up. And, and I hope to some of our hearts here this morning, to believers this morning, that call resonates in our hearts. And I could put it to you this way as a question. Are you walking alert and awake and aware of your surroundings, making wise decisions? Or are you going through life, yes, saved, heaven is your home, but you're walking in the flesh, you're sowing to the flesh, and you're going to reap corruption and destruction that God, by His Son Jesus Christ, actually saved you from. Uh, Look at our text now, verses 15 and 16. He says, See then that ye walk circumspectly. That means looking all around, not as fools, but as wise. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Let's pray together. dearly Father, help us, I pray, this morning as we look at your word. Father, I pray that we'd learn. And Father, I pray for some of us in this room, we may not view ourselves as being asleep. We may think we're completely with it, but in your eyes, we're just kind of sleepwalking. We're just kind of going through the motions. We're not walking in the spirit. We're walking in darkness. We're not walking in love, we're walking in selfishness. We're not walking wisely, but we're walking as fools. Father, help us as you help the church at Ephesus to awake. And Father, I pray that we would walk worthy of the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. I think as I look at this passage on a Memorial Day weekend... I, on a Memorial Day weekend like this, we think, we ought to think of the sacrifices that have been made for our liberty. The sacrifices, the high sacrifices that have been made so that we have freedom. I was talking to a soldier the other day who's currently enlisted, and I asked him, I said, does it bother you at all? that Americans, when it comes to Memorial Day weekend, that we picnic and we celebrate and we get together and we have a good time. And some of us go golfing and, um, you know, we go up north, we go boating or whatever. We look at it as a holiday and we wish, wish each other happy Memorial Day. Uh, I said, does that bother you at all? And he said, no, it doesn't bother me. He said, he said, I've never paid the price, but I, I have some buddies who have paid the price. Um, the ultimate price, and his response to me was, part of the reason that we are willing to go and to give our lives is so that we as Americans, our fellow countrymen, can have liberty and freedom to enjoy what we enjoy as Americans. He said, it doesn't bother me. But as I, as I heard his words and I thought about what he was saying, I thought, to, I thought this, I thought, well, if this man is willing to give his life so that we can have liberty, shouldn't we who have liberties, because of these men and women who have died for us, do we not bear some sort of a responsibility to walk worthy of the sacrifice that these who have gone before us made for us? Does that make sense to you? I mean, the very least we can do is remember them. The Bible talks about memorials in several places, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. So having a memorial is a biblical thing, actually. So at the very least we could do is remember those who have died for us. But we also have a responsibility to walk worthy of their sacrifice. Now, we're talking about men and women who have died for our national freedom. I want you to think about that same truth in light of the word of God. Because that is the truth that Paul is driving home. He's saying you need to walk in love. You, do you, real, you, you need to walk in light. You need to walk uh, wisely. Do, do we all realize and comprehend this morning that before, without Jesus Christ dying for us on the cross and being raised from the dead, do, you, do we all understand this morning that it was impossible for us to walk in love before that? It was impossible for us to walk in the light. We were darkness. We were darkness. We didn't just walk in it. We were darkness. And it was impossible for us to walk wisely. So the context of Ephesians, the first three chapters, is look at what you have because Jesus Christ died for you. He became sin for you and for me. So that we could walk. Worthy of his sacrifice. Look again at, back at chapter 4 and verse 1, and I want to remind you again that God is very interested in our walk. He says, walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. The end of verse number 1 of chapter 4. Walk worthy. If you look down to verse number 17 of chapter 4 at the end, he says, walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind the emptiness of their mind, not thinking. Don't walk as unsaved people do who just go through life making up rules as they go or living according to another set of rules that are not necessarily of the Word of God. Don't, don't live your life like an unsaved person. An unsaved person does not have the Spirit of God living within them. They do not have the Word of God that uh, James calls the engrafted Word living within us. Washing over us. An unsaved person does not have salvation. They are not a child of God to do the will of God. They're a child of Satan and they do the will of Satan. And I say they, that's who we used to be. That's who I used to be. You're in chapter 5, look at verse number 2. He says, walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. But look down to verse number, is it verse number 15? No, verse number 8. He says at the end, walk as children of light. You used to be darkness, but now walk as children of light. And then look with me down to verse number 15. He says, see then that ye walk circumspectly, walk wisely. Because of his sacrifice, you and I have an opportunity. And I dare say that we have a responsibility. And I will tell you that we are accountable for what we do with the freedom that we have. Uh, I I wonder if it bothers you at all. It bothers me sometimes when I perceive that our fellow American citizens, and maybe it's us at times, but we just go through life not thinking about the sacrifices that have been made for us. or, Or we take for granted the freedoms that we have. You ought to vote. You ought to vote. You have a responsibility to vote. It is the least you can do. And I can say that because there's no election, at least uh, tomorrow. Okay. But we have a responsibility as citizens. It, it is not our... Uh, it is, we, we have a higher responsibility to protect what has been entrusted to us. And that's on a national level... What Paul's talking about here is on an eternal level. It's eternal. So I I want to consider this morning verse number 15, this idea of walking circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. He's commanding us, as we walk through this life, to walk carefully. To walk with precision. That's the idea of circumspectly. Uh... The opposite of walking circumspectly would be walking carelessly and walking casually and just wandering about, kind of like I talked to you about myself, just casually sleepwalking, not really walking with any purpose, just kind of going along with whatever happens. Someone puts shaving cream on my face, I smack my face, itch my face, and talk about how I can sell it. doesn't make much sense, just kind of going along, not speaking or thinking very clearly. The word circumspectly... Uh, It really has two parts to it. Circum means around. Speckly means looking. And so circumspectly means that we should be looking all around. Not lusting after things that are around us, but looking all around. When I think of circumspectly or being circumspect, I was thinking of my children. Okay, And as parents, we're wanting to train our children up that they would grow in wisdom. Uh, And and I have young children, but it amazes me how unaware they are sometimes. Now, other times, they're very aware of their circumstances. They're very aware. But I have a couple of them, and they're very unaware. And that makes for great life, you know, just kind of go along, not really thinking about anything. Mom will take care of it. I don't have to remember it. Dad will remind me, or my other sibling will remind me, and just kind of go on along, not looking, being aware of all the things that are around us. God wants us to be wise. He wants us to live, a, live lives that are circumspect, not leaving our Christian lives to chance. We're responsible to seek instruction. We're, we're responsible to seek direction from God's Word, and we're, and we're responsible to base our lives upon His Word, upon His instruction. And we need to make wise choices. In our text, God gives us several reasons why we should walk circumspectly, why we should be careful, why we need to be accurate, why we need to be precise, why we need to be looking all around us in our walk. So we, we need to walk circumspectly. That's the command. Why? I'll give you a few reasons. First of all, because it is wise. It's wise to walk circumspectly. Look at verse number 15 again. He says, see then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. A circumspect walk is a mark of someone who's wise. If you find somebody who is aware of their surroundings, this is wrong, this is evil, I need to be careful of that, this is good. This is honest. This is true. These are good things. These are bad things. Uh, This is what God has given me. Sometimes I find that what young children value isn't really valuable. And sometimes what they value or what they don't value has incredible value. Like sometimes children, they don't value their siblings. (laughs) But actually, their siblings are have eternal value, but they value their Lego set more, right? Uh, not too long ago, I, I, I offered to pay Will. He was working so hard. He loved, he, we worked together often uh, on different projects, and, and that boy, he's, he's a hard worker, and uh, he's a good worker. And so I told him after he'd worked for like several hours, I said, hey, William, if you'll finish picking up these things, I'll pay you two dollars. Now, I know that's not minimum wage. This, we, we're, we're not a closed shop, okay, over at the Ferguson Residence, okay? We're not a union shop. Anyway, uh, but I told him $2, and he was just so excited, $2. Well, I went to my wallet to find $2. I didn't have $2, but I had a $5 bill. And so I said, William, hey, if you'll do these other chores, I'll give you $5. I'll give you, I'll give you this, and I'll, I'll pay you. I told him $5, didn't have it in my hand. And so he finished the job, he came back to me, and he said, you know, he wanted his money. And uh, and so I pulled out the $5 bill, and I reached out to hand it to him. And he just kind of looked at it, and he said, that's only one. I said, no, no, this is five. And he said, he went back to, you said two. I said, but this is more than five. He said, but you said two. And he he finally took it. He wasn't going to go away empty-handed, okay? He knew better than that. He finally took the $5 bill, but, but you know, uh, I, he really was struggling whether this was really worth more than two, because in his mind, two of them would be better than one of them, even though we know five was more than two. You know, some, sometimes we're the same way as little children. And God says, this is more valuable. The light's more valuable than darkness. The Spirit... And the way he leads and the fruit he bears is much more valuable than the, the, what the, the fruit of the flesh or what the flesh produces. And in this life, we, we, sometimes we look at it like Will looked at that. And we say, no, 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 I don't know. I think this is more enjoyable for the moment. And so I'm going to go with this instead of walking in the light. And, and God says it's foolishness. And, and he calls it that. He says, it's not wisdom, it's foolishness. And so he's saying in verse 15, walk circumspectly, not as a fool would walk, but as a wise man would walk. Be looking all around you. Be aware of what you have in the Lord and be, and understand what the world offers. Understand what the flesh produces. It produces destruction. It produces corruption. Understand, the Bible talks a lot about foolishness and wisdom, a lot about it. And I'm going to give you just a, a, a brief overview. Uh, a fool, the Bible says, despises wisdom and instruction. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Answer the question for yourself, for you as an individual. Do you despise, do you resent when your parents give you instruction? Do you despise it or resent it when your pastor gives you instruction? Your husband, your mother. The fool, the Bible says, denies the existence of God, or, or, or rather the authority of God. It says in Psalm 14, verse 1, the fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. Some people say there's no such thing as an atheist. I, I believe there are people who believe that in their head, that there is no God. They've believed the lies. They, they've denied creation. Uh, and so they say there is no God. But, but rather, I think there's an application even for God's people. Do we live like there's a God? All of us in this room here this morning would say, I believe there's a God. Some of us, very much so, knowing the Word of God, we would know much about God. There might be some in this room, you don't know much about God, but you'd say, Okay, I understand. I don't believe. I look around at creation, and I understand, Seth, there's a God. I understand. I don't know who he is, but there's a God. My question to all of us in this room is, do we live like there's a God? Do we live like we're going to give account to him? Or, do we, or, or, would, or rather, would we say, Oh, there's a God, but we live like there is no God. God says, if that's you, and we've all done this at times in our lives, he says, you're a fool. You're a fool. Have you ever played the fool in your life? I have, many times. I'm not proud of that. All of us at some point in our lives have played the fool. Uh, Paul brings it up in this passage. Are you walking as a wise man or or are you walking as a fool? Someone who says there's no God in your heart, who lives like there's no God. Uh, that our tongues reveal whether we're a wise person walking circumspectly or whether we're a foolish person. Proverbs 15 and verse 2 says, The tongue of the wise useth knowledge aright, but the mouth of fools poureth out foolishness. <laughs> when you're watering those plants at this time of the year, they're starting to take root. Some of you got your gardens in right after it uh, sleeted and snowed on us that Sunday. You got your gardens in the very next week. You had confidence. Some of us didn't put it in until just recently, but you can't just dump the bucket on top of the plant. You know, we've drowned a few things at our house. Okay, Uh, it's a family family garden. Okay, we've trampled a few things, drowned a few plants. You know, but there are no rabbits out there. I can tell you that. Not with the not with the security patrol we put together with the foursome yesterday. Yesterday morning. (laughs) I'm studying in my office at home, and and I hear all this yelling outside, and the four kids were outside. I open my window, look out the window. They had figured it out. There was a rabbit living under our deck, and and they were going to protect the garden. The thing didn't have a heart attack. I'm surprised, okay? So at one point, they couldn't get under the deck. The kids kids couldn't get under the deck, so they came up with a plan. Now, those of you who are in this room who know my children, you can't talk to them about this stuff, or I can't tell you these things anymore, okay? So just remember that. All right, so Olivia and Will. Olivia's curly blonde hair, William uh, red hair, and, and Ian positioned them at one end of the deck. Tori was the spotter. That's how Tori operates, okay? She was in control of the whole operation. That's what that means. And, and Ian and, and Libby are on one end, and they were going to be the coyotes. They're howling at the top of their lungs. They're growling. They're trying to terrify this rabbit. Ian is at the other end with some sort of a bug net to catch this rabbit. It finally came out, and then they chased it all over the yard until it left, right? We're going to have a garden, as long as the kids don't trample it. Yeah, all that to say, don't dump your bucket of water on the plants, you'll drown them. No, the mouth of the foolish poureth out foolish; It just kind of gushes out. Are you a fool or are you a wise person? Proverbs 29, verse 11 says, A fool uttereth all his mind, but a wise man keepeth it in till afterwards. When we were shopping for a piano, Pastor Tomin and I were down toward Detroit, and we, were meeting, we met with several salespeople, and not the man who sold uh, this piano. But... Um, and he wanted to see a picture of our auditorium. And so Pastor Toman showed him the picture of the auditorium, and it included the, the other, the, our old piano, which I thought was a wonderful piano. And this salesman looked at the picture. He said, that piano is ugly. Now, at that point, I don't care what he was selling and what the price was. He was not selling a piano to me. And by the way, it wasn't that great of a piano he was selling anyway. But I remember as, as I sat across from him, and he offended us uh, quite severely, And then he looked at me and said, well, you know, I got to be honest. I got to say what I'm thinking. And I looked at him, and I didn't say anything because he knew I was a pastor. Frankly, that's why I didn't say anything. That was in my mind. But I looked across from him, and I was thinking in my mind, um, I'm not saying what I'm thinking right now, (laughs) okay? You know, no, you don't have to say everything that you think, right? The Bible says someone who says everything that they think is a fool. They're not a wise person. A fool uttereth all his mind, but a wise man keepeth it in till afterwards. The Bible talks about there's a difference in confidence between a fool and a wise person. Proverbs 14, verse 16 says, A wise man feareth, the idea is feareth God, and departs from evil, but the fool rageth and is confident. Confidence confidence is important, but not if we're confident in us, but that we be confident in God. The Bible says that there's a difference in promotion for a wise person and a foolish person. Proverbs 3 verse 35 says, The wise shall inherit glory, but shame shall be the promotion of fools. We all like promotions, don't we? We all like a promotion. Uh, Well, the Bible says a fool is going to get a promotion. It's called shame. We've all experienced that, haven't we? Our faces flush, we're ashamed. Did I just say that? Did I just do that? What have I done? You see, the foolish person, and, and I've given you a brief description of him, he's in contrast, it's the opposite of a wise man. A foolish man is the opposite of a wise man. Now, the reality is, as a child of God, we can either walk in wisdom, circumspectly, as a wise man, looking all around us, walking through our lives with precision and accuracy, according to the Word of God, and according to the Spirit of God who lives within us, Or I can walk through life like a sleepwalker, not really paying attention casually, having a good time, living my life according to my passions and my desires, the lust of my flesh, and walk as a foolish man. Shame is the promotion of fools. A foolish believer is walking selfishly, he's walking in darkness, he's walking according to the fleshly passions and desires of of his own flesh. And I submit to you this morning that walking foolishly is not worthy of the sacrifice that Jesus Christ has made for us. So we need to walk circumspectly, number one, because it is wise to do so. Number two, because life is short. Look at verse number 16, the beginning part. He says, redeeming the time. And he brings our attention to this idea of time that we're all so familiar with. Have you ever bought something that you've regretted? You say, yeah, it's in my barn, or it's in the attic, or it's in the basement. I've never used it, never took it out of the box. Um, have you ever neglected to buy something and later you regretted not buying it? Uh, not, not too often does that happen, but every once in a while you think, oh, what was I thinking? You know, if you invest at all, maybe you've thought that. you thought, whoa, how did I miss that? Um, I think Nolan Bushnell has that thought. He was the man who founded Atari. You remember? The leader in gaming entertainment for a long time ago. You remember that joystick, you know, and it stopped working and the button, you know, and uh, some of the wonderful games we, we just gave our lives to, some of us who are older. Well, uh, Atari used to be the world's leading computer gaming system, and they had hired Steve Jobs, who used to head up Apple, and they hired him in the early 1970s. In 1976, Jobs left to set up Apple computers, and he offered his boss at Atari Noland, one-third share of the new company for $50,000. Noland turned it down. And he admittedly regrets, to this day, that decision. Atari is no longer quite the household name that it used to be. And Apple Computers is predicted to reach a market value of $1 trillion in the near future. Had Bushnell purchased a third of that company, the shares, for $50,000, he would would have made, by this time, over $300 billion on a $50,000 investment. The point is this he didn't buy it when he should have bought it. And my point to you is this are you redeeming the time? Because life is short. You only have one life. You only have one opportunity to live this life circumspectly. I've read to you before from the Word of God where it talks about how every one of us who are born again, a child of God, are going to stand before Jesus Christ someday as Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And we are going to give an account to him, a a day of reckoning, a time of reward. We're going to give an account to him for what we did in this life, every word that we've spoken in this life, whether it was good or whether it was bad. Every Monday, our children come home and they bring these yellow folders home with all of their grades from the previous week of school. And I call it the day of reckoning. <laughs> and they love it. They love it. They do. Olivia will come in with a big smile and she say, it's the day of reckoning, dad. Yes, it is. It's the day of reckoning. And you know what? We've made it a day of reward. And when they get an A, they get a, two stickers. And if they get so many stickers, we give them a reward. Some of them are eating way too much candy. It's a day of reckoning. You know, the, the judgment seat of Christ is a, is a day of reward. It really is. Now, now, for all of us, that's a bit sobering because we know that every one of us in this room have done things in the flesh in this lifetime that were wrong because it was done in the flesh. It was wrong. And it's shameful. But... Just because we've walked in the flesh at times in our life does not mean that we cannot change our thinking and begin to live our lives circumspectly. If you've fallen and so be it, you've walked in the flesh, it is what it is, turn away from it and begin to walk circumspectly Uh, valuing the things that are valuable, the sacrifice that Christ has made, His Holy Spirit who lives within you and is with you every moment of every day and leading you and teaching you and comforting you and guiding you. Do you value that? Because the time is short. The word redeem there means to buy up. It means to buy up redeeming the time buy up the time this last just the last couple weeks uh, a dear lady 58 years of age passed away unexpectedly 58 i think of dear ones loved ones loved by this very church family who years gone by oversaw the nursery ministry, would stand on this platform and sing and bless our hearts, encourage us. And they're not they're not here anymore. Are you buying up the time? Only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. You every one of us in this room have a responsibility As we do as an American citizen uh, for uh, for the sacrifice that has been made, we have a responsibility to live responsibly with the liberties and freedoms we have. So too, as children of God, saved by the blood of Jesus Christ that he shed on that cross, and the cross is a symbol of selflessness and sacrifice. And we have a responsibility to buy up the time. Do you have the gift to teach? You ought to be be actively teaching in our children's ministries or maybe in adult ministries. Do you have the God-given ability to sing? There's a lady in our church who, due to surgery, is not able to sing anymore. And she's met with me and she's cried. She can't sing anymore. She does not have the physical ability to sing anymore. And it bothers her. And you know what? That's the cross that God's called her to bear, and she's going to grow through that. But there might be some of you in this room, and you have the ability to sing. And you ought to sing. Do you ever sing? And I don't just mean in the shower, or while you're riding on the moor, or in your vehicle during your commute. Do you sing to be a blessing to fellow believers, to the body of Christ? You only have one opportunity. Redeem the time. Walk circumspectly, redeeming the time. Buy it up. If you're a young person and you're, you're, you're a single young person, redeem the time. You say, oh, I'm a young person. I have a lot of time left. You don't know how much time you have left. And you are going to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ someday if you're a child of God. And you are going to give an account to Him. How did you live your life on this earth? Is the way that you and I are living our lives on this earth, is the way we're living our lives, is it worthy, is it worthy of the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made for us? He has given us all these things. In Matthew 6 and verse 19 He says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Jim Elliot said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. I pulled in the parking lot the other day this past week and there, was, there were three men, four men working on the property keeping the grounds. One man was weed whacking out at the pole. Um, one man was riding our 18-year-old skag uh, mower. Another man was riding his own mower that he brings to the church to mow the grounds for us. And the, and the fourth man was riding what we call affectionately the widow maker. It's an old gravely, and uh, the seat sits on one wheel, and it's ultra-slow. I looked out there at those four men, and my heart rejoiced, because they're serving the body of Christ. I think they're redeeming the time. We don't need everybody out here on a mower next Thursday. What is it that God has given you the ability to do? Are you buying up the time? James 4 tells us, whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time, and then it vanisheth away. It's gone. Don't miss the opportunity to make the most of the time that God has entrusted to your care. There's a third reason that we should walk circumspectly because it is wise to do so, because life is short, and thirdly, because the days are evil. Look at verse number 16, the latter part. He says, redeeming the time, and then he gives us the context, because the days are evil, and the overriding thought of this is, because you may not always have the opportunities that you have now. Days are the unit of time by which God measures our lives. All of God's people throughout human history have, to, have had to live during evil days to some degree or to another. The Israelites, God's chosen people, had to live while they were slaves in Egypt. The Ephesian believers were living in a very wicked, idolatrous, pagan city, the city of Ephesus. And there was persecution in Ephesus. Tribulation saints someday who will live during the tribulation period won't be allowed to buy or to sell without taking the mark of the beast, the mark of the Antichrist. And they will suffer greatly. I believe that Paul, in in verse number 16, is emphasizing that the opportunity for the Ephesian believers to live freely for the Lord was limited. The same could be said for you and for me. Paul himself was writing this letter from Rome while he was under house arrest, It is likely that Paul was warning the church at Ephesus that persecution was on the way. Peter talks about that in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 12 and following. Now, I want to tell you something. Obviously, it is possible that God can use an imprisoned child, a believer, a Christian. God can use an imprisoned, suffering saint, a Christian, to bring him honor and to bring him glory. God can do that. But it is also true that God can use a Christian who's healthy to bring him glory. God can use a Christian and will use a Christian who is willing to serve to bring him glory. Who's willing to teach. Who's willing to mow the property. Who's willing to sing. I I, I think of it this way. God's willing to use a Christian who has freedom to travel, liberty to speak, Time to invest in the body of Christ. Financial means to give. Resources to study God's word. The ability to serve fellow believers. And time to pray with God's people. See, the context of verse number 16 is this. Don't be mindless with the opportunities that you have. Walk in the light, not in darkness. Because there may soon come a day when you don't have the opportunities to serve serve God the way that you have them now. I've thought of this, Uh, you know, since President Trump has been our president, and he's not a perfect man by any means, but since he's been our president, there has been a sense of relief amongst churches like Trinity Baptist Church and other Christian schools and universities. For a time, I think we felt as though we were in the crosshairs, to the point where, at least in Canada it was hate speech to preach certain portions of the word of god and i know a certain pastor was in, was sent to prison because he still preached what the word of god said how can that pastor serve god and redeem the time while he's in prison yes or no yes he can could he not serve god and redeem the time while he was out of prison yes and i hope he did what about you what about you? Are you redeeming the time? There's another thought in verse number 17, and we'll be done, because God has given us a mind to know his will. Look at verse number 17. He says it this way wherefore be ye not unwise. That is the word unwise means mindless. We we could use the term that we never use in our home, stupid. Okay? That's the idea, okay? I say it frankly to you be not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. You have the ability to understand what God's will is. If we were to gather a group of soldiers, if we had the opportunity and we were able to ask the soldiers who have given their lives for the United States of America, why did you die for our country? What what were you hoping to accomplish by giving your life on that battlefield for the United States of America? I imagine the reasons would be quite wide. Probably all of them could be boiled down, or most of them could be boiled down to one thought, and that would be liberty, so that you would have freedom. That you wouldn't have to live under tyranny. That you wouldn't have to live under communism, or something like that, socialism. It would be liberty, the ability to live freely, the ability to worship God according to your conscience. It probably would be boiled down to liberty. And I ask you, what is the purpose, the reason for which Jesus Christ gave his life for us? What was his purpose? And here in verse number 17, Paul says, You have the ability to understand why and what the will of God is. Why Jesus Christ died for you. And, and at the heart of it, yes, it's that you and I would be saved from death and hell to come, but that also includes, his salvation includes liberty, liberty, freedom from sin and destruction. And so the question begs to be asked, why would a child of God, who has been given so much at such a great price by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, his great sacrifice, why Would we choose to walk selfishly? Why would we choose to go back and walk and flounder around and wobble around in darkness? Why would we choose to go around and live our lives mindlessly and just casually going about life like nothing really matters? Why wouldn't we live it walking in love, walking in light, and walking in wisdom, walking in circumspect? What you listen to is important to God. What, what we watch is important to God. How we worship him is important to God. How we, how we live is important to God. How I think is important to God. My relationships are important to God. I'm important to God and you are important to God and so much so that he sent his son to die on the cross making the ultimate sacrifice so that we could live. Should we not live? Should we not walk worthy of his sacrifice? You understand what the will of God is. He talked about it and I preached on it several weeks in Ephesians chapter 2 beginning in verse number one, down through most of that chapter. And he talks about how Jesus Christ, for you, gave his life so that you may live. I, don't, I didn't plan this sermon this way for Memorial Day. When I started the, our series in Ephesians back whenever that was, I didn't know that this passage was going to be preached Memorial Day. But God did. And you know what? I needed it to land on Memorial Day because I needed to connect some dots in my own head. He's commanding me to walk in love and walk in light and to walk circumspectly. Boy, that sounds kind of boring. That means I've got to be aware. I've got to walk soberly. I've got to be honest about how I'm living. I can't just kind of go with the flow. A little boring, kind of hard. Who wants to hear that? And then it fell on Memorial Day. All of his sacrifice was so that we could live this way. A way that we never had the ability to live before he died and rose again. I love him. And the Bible says all who have been saved by him, we love him because he first loved us. Is his sacrifice worthy? Let's all stand to our feet with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, no one looking around. How many of you would say with a uplifted hand, Pastor Ferguson, I am thankful for, for Christ's sacrifice. I believe that Jesus is God and that he, he came and he died on, this, on that cross and he was buried and he rose again the third day. Seth, I'm a child of God. God is my heavenly Father. I'm I'm saved, and I know that for sure. If that's you, would you raise your hand good and high that I could see it in this room? Thank you. May put your hands down? Thank you for your honesty this morning. Maybe you're here this morning. You'd say, Pastor Ferguson, I could not raise my hand because I've never put my faith and my trust in Jesus Christ to save me from my sin. I've never believed I've never believed that God loved me so much to send his son to die for me and my wicked sin, and that Christ is able to save me from my sin. Pastor Ferguson, I understand this morning that I have been walking in selfishness, and I have been walking in darkness because I am darkness. And I've been walking foolishly because I'm not a child of God. Pastor Ferguson, I want God to save me from my sin. Seth, would you pray for me? If that's you with heads bowed and eyes closed in this room, with no one looking around, if that's your desire to receive Christ and be saved from your sin, would you raise your hand that I could see it, that I might pray for you? Anyone like that at all in this room? Seth, pray for me. I desperately need to be saved. To believers that I speak, you believe in God. He sent his son to die for you and for me. Are you walking circumspectly? Greater than that, are you walking worthy? Is your manner of life worthy of the sacrifice that Jesus Christ paid for you? Maybe you'd say this morning, Pastor Ferguson, would you pray for me because God convicted my heart of my walk, my manner of life, Pastor Ferguson, would you pray for me? Because I want to walk worthy. I want to walk in love and in light and in wisdom. And I'm resolved to do that. Anyone like that this morning with heads bowed and eyes closed? Pastor, would you pray for me? I see the hand there in the back and here in the front, there in the back. A couple to my left, more some to my right. Thank you, sir. You may put it down. Heavenly Father, I pray for these who have asked me to. Lord, we